Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at What's up, Luke? I'm lost, dude. I'm hype. Yeah, you are hype, man. Yeah. You just gave me a little bit of rap skills right before the uh, little freestyle. Right before we started recording. Freestyle beatbox and the latest track down. Yeah, I might put one of those at the end of the show. You never know. Awesome. <laughs> so what you been doing, man? How you been? Uh, still. It's not that I haven't seen you all day, but how you yeah. been? So that our viewers or listeners know, I'm still living in my car. Still a great time. It's, it's freezing here in Tennessee. <laughs> well, you know, hey, there's uh, for any ladies out there in the conspiracy normal universe that for, for Luke any, needs a home. For any sugar mamas who, so, I, I'll treat you real good. You know, like 60-year-old sugar mamas. <laughs> I treat, I'll treat you real good. I rub your feet and everything. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be your boy toy. <laughs> anyway, uh... Great news. Uh, last week or two weeks ago, we had the uh, Chris White interview about the uh, Ancient Aliens Debunked uh, film that he did. And that was our like most downloaded and most listened to show ever. We've had like 300 and something views, I believe like 310 views, uh, uh, plays, downloads on Podomatic, and uh, have now gotten into back to about I think we're number 74 in religion and spirituality on on uh, Potomatic and I think we've picked up some new listeners of course we might have dropped them after you know talking about boy toys and sugar mamas but no, not quite we've we've had some more uh, some dirtier conversation than that yeah before. true yeah. but uh, I also uh, posted yes last night the lost episode that was recorded six Ooh. months ago on May 7th, 2012. That was the, our actual first appearance with Mr. Tom Bionic. Our second appearance, which is actually show number four, uh, 
was was uh, about sleep paralysis, and that was a good show. Uh, it was a much better show than the one that came before. Nothing uh, that is Mr. Tom Bionic's fault, but uh, we were all a little bit off that night, and uh, I was sick. I'd had a headache all day. Uh, Luke, you were uh, inebriated. Which was interesting, made for an interesting time. And listening to it back, uh, it appears that your mic just wasn't working at all. Right. Just completely, <laughs> completely not even working. Thanks, producer I think, Chris. I think this mic that we were u- that we're using now, which is the only mic we use now, by the way, uh, <clears throat> was actually the one that I had, and it was picking Luke up. So if anyone listens to that show, that's episode sixteen. Uh, if you're listening to Luke, it sounds like he's like talking to us from a great um, from a distance. Steel, from a steel can. Yeah, from a steel can. Oh. Uh, and Chris himself was, uh, believe, had just hurt his back and was on painkillers at the time. And every time the uh, computer would go to screensaver, he would stop to get the screensaver back on. He would press the uh, space bar, which would stop Audacity. So... There are three times that you, two times you will hear it just stop and then all of a sudden we'll, we'll come back. Moving onward. Yeah. So I just kept all that in there <laughs> and uh, just, you know, there's some good information in the show, but, uh, you know, it's not one that we're exceptionally proud of, but I think we've gotten a little better with, uh, with it since. And uh, Chris is not here because uh, he's going down to Alabama. For the Thanksgiving break. Alabama man. Alabama man. <laughs> so, uh, what did you think about, uh, you know, Chris White in the interview that we did last time? I got to remember, remember it. it. It's a couple yeah. weeks ago, man. It's reaching back. Uh, man, I spring that on you all the time. You know? <laughs> Just spring that stuff on Re- you. Refresh my memory with some uh, Ancient Aliens debunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we already did a review of them at the end of that show, but yeah, um, yeah, I got to watch a little bit of uh, his documentary. It's oh, like, you did? Okay. Yeah, what? It was an hour and a half, about two hours uh, long. It's about length. three hours and ten minutes. Oh, yeah, it's long. <laughs> yeah, I watched. I watched a little bit of it though, and uh, you know, he's like I said before, he's definitely done his research. He's a really smart guy, and uh, and I appreciate that he is out there searching. You know to to dig things up rather than just hearsay all the time. Everyone you talk to, always hearsay, hearsay. You know, I heard this or I watched yeah. this and never show you the solid evidence and proof. And he seems to have collected a lot of that. So that's pretty good. One of the things I liked about the show was, you know, you asked him some things that he actually kind of had to look up while he was, you yeah. know, while we, while we were talking. And I thought that was good because it showed that he's willing to look into things. Yeah. even. Right. Even while in, in the midst of an interview, yeah, you know, he's willing to look. I into mean, that's it. the way this should be, anyway. You know, right. I, the whole, you know, our show. That's kind of how it is because we right. look up stuff sometimes too. The rape chasers and all that. So yeah. Uh, but we want to welcome you know any of our new listeners that are out there. You know, I noticed that we got uh, people in Hungary downloading our show. People in Sweden, Norway. The home of uh, Luke's favorite genre of music, which is uh, black metal. Uh, actually, death metal. Oh well, sorry. but but uh, close enough. Eastern okay. Eastern Europe. Well, yeah. I don't know. You know, I'm ignorant of the whole metal thing. Or, or actually, Western Europe. Yeah. Yeah, Northern Europe, Scandinavia. Northern Europe. 
We got Romania, lots in Australia, and a ton in the United States. Uh, one good thing that I noticed was is that people just didn't download the Chris White show. A lot of people went back and downloaded some of our other shows. And for those of you that are out there that did that, I want to say that I'm sorry. But uh, you know, there is a lot of good information in a lot of those shows. And tonight we will have uh, a repeat guest. We're going to have Adam Go Riley back on because there was a lot that we did not really, that I feel that we didn't really get to cover too much in that show. Uh, I believe that's episode 12, I think. So <clears throat> we're going to bring him back on and we want to talk a lot about uh, one of the things that his kind of his expertise, which is uh, the Manson family, and uh, kind of wanted to talk about Montauk too a little bit with him. So we'll get him on. I'm going to ask him about Man Bear Pig. Yeah, ask him about that. Man. <laughs> ask him about that. Uh, yeah, the thing that washed ashore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I call uh, it Man yeah, Bear I was Pig. Like, what are you talking about? Not, not Al Gore. <laughs> not Al Gore. Al Gore's Bear Pig. Man right. Bear Pig. <laughs> Also, the name of a local Nashville wrestler. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should get him on the show. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, man. I'm sure you'd have a lot to contribute. <laughs> Probably less than me, and that's sad. Well, yeah, you, you, you contribute. You contribute a lot more than you think. And uh, But uh, anyway, I don't think without further ado, we're going to bring him on, and uh, we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Whoop, whoop. Hey, and we are back on Conspiranormal. What's up, Luke? Uh, still sitting here. I know, man. Still sitting here. <laughs> Been only about ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on the line, we have the crackpot historian himself, Mr. Adam Go Rightly, rejoining us. Welcome, welcome. How's everything going with you? Great. Thanks for having me on again, guys. It's good to have you back. How's uh, anything uh, uh, synchronous, synchronistic or coincidental happened since uh, we've had you on last? Oh, ooh, you, you broke up there, but uh, synchronicities, let me think. Have there been any monumental synchronicities in my life? No, no but I'm always uh, have my head open and my eyes open for those. Nothing, nothing monumental here of late it hasn't been that long i guess about a month ago you had me on yeah it was uh october 1st so about a month and a half yeah so yeah nothing uh earth shattering like everybody else i'm waiting for uh december 21st uh 2012 see what goes down on that uh, monumental date some some say the uh, d demise of the uh, twinkie is all tied into these uh, in time, uh, prophets of the Mayans. There was actually a uh, line from one of uh, uh, Nostradamus's quant trains about the uh, how did it go? Something about the passing of the cream-filled pastry will signal the the end the ending of an age or something to that. What? Well, I definitely I definitely think we're in trouble then. <laughs> Uh-oh. Because if Nostradamus said it, it must it must, have, must be real. <laughs> <laughs> Any doppelganger issues? Oh, he was always right, yeah. Oh, you know, as a matter of fact, there was some weird doppelganger activity going on, uh, at least according to Andy Colvin. You familiar with his work? Yeah, I am. <laughs> well, he's got this thing about... Uh, 
so do I about doppelgangers. Uh, who knows? We might have talked about this last time, but uh, did we talk about my uh, doppelganger out at con- the uh, conspiracy uh, conference? We no, already covered no, that uh, territory. No, we didn't. We, we, <laughs> we should care. We should cover that before we go on. Okay, uh, this uh, happened. Uh, uh, this conspiracy con nine number nine. 2009. That's pretty easy to remember, and I'd been corresponding with Andy Colvin quite a bit, but we finally met up with that and up met up at that event out in uh, San Jose, actually Santa Clara, California. And uh, for those who don't know, Andy is uh, more uh, famously known as the Mothman photographer, and he has some pretty interesting theories about Mothman kind of being his guardian angel and making him aware of a lot of different conspiracies going on in the world so check out Andy's work but while we were there I got to the uh, venue where the uh, conference was going on I was checking in at the uh, hotel and uh, as I was uh, got checked in and I was kind of uh, going to pick up Andy somebody stopped me and said hey you going to bring the books in? I had no idea who this fellow was. And I said, well, well, I don't think I have any of your books. I brought some of my books to the event. He looked pretty confused. And uh, then his wife walked up by him and we're talking. I go, well, maybe it's my doppelganger you met. I was just kind of joking with him. He looked more complex and his wife started uh, chuckling and and I found out that this fellow, uh, God, I'm, I'm going to forget his name. That Now, he was there as a uh, one of the speakers of the event, it turned out. He worked with uh, surveillance uh, devices and sold these devices to people who were trying to, uh, you know, people that feel they're being mind controlled. These are the type of instruments that can block, like, microwave beams being beamed at you and whatnot. And this guy's name will come to me in a second. But so that was kind of a weird incident right there that uh, I thought my doppelganger might be running around the event. There have been uh, stories about an Adam Go Rightly double dating back more than a decade or so. It was shared with me by a uh, uh, psychic by the name of Eugenia Maser's story back in. Think of the late '90s. She <laughs> claimed she saw an Adam Go Rightly double. Somebody, I guess, uh, pretending to be me who looked like me at this uh, East Coast New Age conference. So I actually ended up writing a piece called "The Doppelgang" for the uh, recent issue of Paranoia Magazine. Seems like this has gone on at different uh, UFO and conspiracy conferences because I got an email from my friend uh, Ken Thomas, editor of Steam Shovel Press, uh, a couple years back. He had gotten a, a fan of his had sent a photo of Ken with uh, this fan at a uh, UFO conference around uh, 2002 or 2003, but the odd thing was that it wasn't Ken in the photo. It was somebody uh, pretending to be Ken who looked a quite a bit like Ken who had a... Uh, nameplate on there that was Ken Thomas, but Ken looked back in his record, and he wasn't at the uh, this UFO conference, the one they have out at Laughlin. He wasn't out there this year, so 
I started seeing this trend about uh, doppelgangers uh, showing up at conspiracies and UFO events. And so I wrote this uh, piece, The Doppelganger, and there was more incidents of that. Uh, there's been a uh, Andy Colvin claims his doppelganger has been running around different things. So anyway, we had this uh, doppelganger experience back in, in uh, whatever it was, 2009 with Andy. So he, he's on always on lookout for my uh, doppelganger. <laughs> and uh, just yesterday this popped up on Facebook. Somebody apparently had uh, took a photo of Mothman through a peephole. And Andy did some analysis of this. And as he zoomed it up, the uh, face of Mothman looks a hell of a lot like me there's a big mustache and the same uh, glasses so Andy's developed of course this whole theory about uh, my doppelganger pretending to be Mothman so yeah there's your uh, synchronicity you're asking for that's kind of a weird one it might be a bit of a con confabulation on Andy's part but <laughs> hey Adam I think we got so there the, you go I think we got the NSA listening in again because you are kind of cutting in and out a little bit yeah it sounds like you're coming oh, okay. from like four different places <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so they, if they cut just well, just maybe they'll give you some more hits if you get the NSA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I do. Get, I do get weird been, hits from I've, DC, so I don't know. <laughs> I've been pre pre prepared for a couple de decades for them to take me away. Hee hee ha ha. <laughs> yeah, it might happen. You never know. <laughs> do you want us to try to reconnect, possibly? <laughs> Oh, is it? We're having the uh, continued. Yeah, I still have problems still, still getting it. Yeah. Okay. Let's try to sometimes Skype. Sometimes Skype is like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'll try. I'm gonna hang up and then I'll reconnect. I'll put some, like some. Go silly, ahead. Yeah. I'll put some silly music in or something. Okay. Okay. Hopefully, we found the bug. So. Yeah, Skype is uh, flaky like that sometimes. Sometimes it sounds like you're in the next room. Other times it starts wigging out. Yeah, it's it's going on a little bit, but I think we'll try to get through the interview. Yeah, it's, it's still doing it pretty bad, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. I think this is technical mm. difficulties. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's try to get through what we can. I'm not... Gonna worry about it. Okay, right sure. If they if they cut last time, uh, you, you, when you cut out on us, and then we, we, when we reconnected, it was it, it sounded okay. So, but I think they're just mm -hmm. they're they're just trailing us. Uh, yeah, on on uh, my end, you guys sound uh, per perfect. Okay. There's no uh, breaking right. up, so who knows? All right, cool. excellent. Okay, cool. Well, every, everyone. Let me get... let me. Uh, let me uh, replug in my headset here just to okay. make sure everything's uh, snug. Yeah, no problem. Let's give it a okay. Okay. Does it sound better to you, Luke? Uh, it sounds it sounds about the same, but let's okay. do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well. Since everybody got to be entertained with that, uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, I wanted to talk tonight, uh, Adam, about um, 
something that I know that you're you, you've been considered an expert of, and I know that you're not uh, too much into it anymore. But uh, uh, kind of wanted to do uh, talk some about uh, the Charles Manson stuff because we didn't even get to touch that last time. And I, I guess um, the main question there for me is. Uh, you know, you have the kind of like the official story of Charles Manson and his family, you know, quote unquote official, the Vincent Bugulosi version. And, mm -hmm. you know, that his idea of, you know, Helter Skelter and that being the cause of of the, the murders and all that. Um, how would um, what you've studied about Manson, how does that differ from kind of that official line? Ooh, boy. Um, Quite a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, how I got involved in it, uh, this is dating back to the mid-90s. Even before that, I'd uh, been kind of interested in the Manson story, really, since uh, the early 70s. I remember a bunch of friends got together over at the... Uh, party house there on Weldon Street. We were known as the Weldon Street Crazies, and uh, that must have been around 76 or so that uh, the Helter, Helter Skelter TV movie came out, and yeah. uh, that was, uh, we had uh, got pizza and beer and just uh, found, found it quite uh, humorous <laughs> in some parts. Uh, Steve Relsbeck, uh did a great performance, you know, and of course, not to minimalize <laughs> all the murders and stuff, but I got uh, interested in that point. That was like the mid-70s, you know, so that uh, continued on over the years, and I read some of the books, and I got into um, researching, uh, you know, conspiracy theories and uh, what not, and uh, started discovering all these conspiracy theories swirling around the Manson family. And I was, uh, late 80s, I was writing for uh, the zines of the period and looking into this. So I started uh, gathering information to find out if there were anything to these uh, various theories. Some were that the Manson family was uh, some type of military mind control experiment, you know, and there were... A, a lot of other uh, rumors out there, so I started gathering material and thought some day if I got enough uh, material, I'd write a book. And so I started down that path in the late uh, 90s, uh, looking at all these various theories. And at one point, uh, I decided, you know, if I'm going to tell the story, I need to uh, write about Manson's youth and how he... Uh, gathered his uh, family of followers and weave all this stuff together. And by the time I was done, I got, I spent like three years writing this beast. It was 600 pages, a mighty tome. And some have uh, called it the most comprehensive book on the uh, Manson family. But to answer your uh, question, you know, there's, there's loads of different theories. And a lot seems like uh, Vincent Bugliosi with creating the, uh, helter-skelter theory, not to say that there's not some things, uh, uh, some bit of tr piece of truth or <laughs> kernel of truth in his theory, but uh, that he uh, created this to cover up other things and basically use uh, Manson 
as a scapegoat, Manson had these deep connections in the rock music scene of the uh, era and uh, knew different uh, uh, people involved in the movie industry. So Ed Sanders in his book, The Family, talked about a veil of silence that had uh, been uh, tossed over this uh, segment of the Manson family story. And that, uh, you know, in Helter Skelter, the whole theory in Bugliosi's book, he was the prosecutor of the case as well, was the design of all that was used to uh, cover up these different aspects of the uh, story that we don't normally hear a lot, you know, until my my book came out and some of the other ones that looked into some of these uh, areas. It's interesting to note that... uh, Bugliosi, uh, Mae Brussel, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, uh, yeah, are I you? Am. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am. Yeah, she uh, looked into the Manson family years ago. She was one of my early sources in the uh, early 70s, and she claimed that uh, Manson had been basically part of the COINTELPRO operation that was going on in the late 60s, early 70s to undermine the counterculture uh, uh, movement of the period. The FBI, the CIA was involved in this, and they had what they called agent provocateurs. They plant with the Black Panthers or in the Yippie movement and all these different uh, various uh, radical political groups. And some have surmised, May Russell did, that Manson was just one such uh, plant, you know. And uh, she had interviewed another guy named Preston Guillory, who worked for the Los Angeles Sheriff's Office and during that period. And they were going out, and they knew about Manson, that he was set up there at Spawn Ranch, and that he was a parolee, and that there was some charges of statutory rape and that he had guns and drugs out at Spawn Ranch, but the word to him during this period was hands off on Manson, that uh, they were kind of watching and monitoring him, which once again indicates that he was being used, and that's, uh, Manson has made allusions to that uh, as well over the years and some of his rambling, uh, crazy-sounding uh, interviews that uh, he's alluded to that they uh, one of the things he said was he wanted to know who was uh, pissing on his leash this was after he got locked up and what he means there is that if you uh, put water on leather it expands (laughs) so they basically let him out a certain amount and then when they had used him they pulled him back in now Brussel also talked about uh, people she called, I'm trying to remember the uh, terminology that were kind of uh, uh, vacuums that uh, were part of the establishment, but they also got involved in uh, researching the Kennedy assassination and RFK assassinations and various things so they could uh, glom on to uh, a lot of the information and then basically put out the information fit for public consumption. And she thought uh, Vincent Bogliosi was one of these guys, not only with the Manson story, but if you look into the history of different projects, Bogliosi's 
Buglius, excuse me, has been involved with. He's also involved in researching and uh, being involved in the RFK assassination back in the day. And, of course, in recent times, he's written uh, a book on the JFK assassination, which was like the final word (laughs) coming from the wise guru, uh, Vincent Bugliosi, that uh, once again, Lee Harvey Oswald was a uh, lone nut assassin. So he's he's one of those curious... uh, characters out there, these agents of uh, disinformation, it seems, who are put in uh, positions of power to uh, cover things up. That, that he was possibly trying to cover up some kind of, uh, well, either the, the COINTELPRO connection with Manson and possibly uh, that there could be an MK Ultra connection there, too. There could be that. Uh, Manson was in the right place at the right uh, time to uh, be a pawn in uh, MK Ultra. He, he landed in the Haight-Ashbury in 67, and at that time, uh, MK Ultra opera- operatives like uh, Louis Jolien West, uh, famous CIA uh, MK Ultra dude, was ensconced in the Haight-Ashbury with some other folks. Uh, they actually had a safe house there where they would... Uh, they use prostitutes to pick up guys in bars, and they dose them with acid without yeah. telling them, and take them back to the safe house. But you know, LSD got basically unleashed during that uh, period, and the uh, the folks who uh, were distributing it uh, really were the uh, CIA had gone through a lot of uh, hands. You know, they had sent up. Front organizations. That's how Kesey and Ginsburg and all those folks got it in the, you know Stanford and a couple years earlier. But uh, you know, at one time the CIA had bought up the uh, world supply of uh, LSD, and right. <laughs> and so that was basically what initially got uh, people like Kesey and those folks involved. Later, he had. Uh, uh, Kesey's associate uh, Osley started uh, brewing up his own acid. Now, um, the researcher John Judge claimed that the uh, Manson family and May Russell's claim this too had been handled by a naval intelligence operative that gave him gave the Manson family the military version of acid, which wasn't the street acid. It was this <laughs> particularly particular military version of acid that was attributive of psilocybin. I'm not sure where Judge got this information, but and that the Manson family were basically used to undermine the 60s uh, counterculture and uh, screw it all up, and that was one of the tools the agencies used. You know, pr- prior to the summer of love with the influx of drugs, there was a real heavy radical political anti-war movement going on in the U.S. the early 60s. It was like on the Berkeley campus and real strong in California. And, you know, the uh, inference here I guess I'm making is when they brought the uh, drugs and it kind of diffused everything and got people more into the uh, Eastern mysticism and, you know, that type of stuff. So, uh, you know, other people took uh, LSD and I think... uh, used it for some positive means to <laughs> enlighten themselves. But so there's that aspect of the story. And also, 
you know, writing about the Manson story and looking, I was connecting a lot of uh, dots. And one of the sources was a book called The Ultimate Evil uh, by Maury Terry, who tied in the Manson family to the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Oh, and yeah. all. And also this guy by the name, they name him, uh, uh, use the name of Chris Jets in the uh, book, The Ultimate Evil, but uh, that was just a pseudonym for this guy who was a mover and uh, shaker. He was involved uh, with the CIA, he claimed, and uh, was also involved with uh, some of the big LSD manufacturers during that uh, period, and Maury Terry had a source who put Manson and this uh, uh, self, uh, somebody claimed uh, he was with the CIA, this Chris Jets guy. I, I know his real name, but I don't have it on my fingertips. But uh, uh, Maury Terry, author of The Ultimate Evil, uh, said that um, Manson and this Chris Jets had actually been associated with, and he put them, them together just a few weeks for the Manson family murders. So there's all these different uh, dots out there I've connected in my book on the uh, Manson family. And it's like any rabbit hole you go down into, you know, if you're looking for different things to uh, connect the story into whatever, MKUltra or this or that, you can find them. But, uh, it's, you know, it's indeed curious uh, some of these connections I found uh, in the whole Manson family story, it's almost like there's a there's like a six degrees of Charles Manson in a lot of this stuff. Oh, totally. Of, he he knew everybody. If you start uh, yeah. looking into it, like the six degrees, just a couple of degrees with some of the uh, murders. Uh, it was uh, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski had uh, dinner with. Uh, Oh, man, I, I forget all these uh, names. The uh, director of the Manchurian Candidate. Do you remember uh, his name? Frankenheimer. John Frankenheimer. There you go, Frankenheimer. Uh, uh. And Frankenheimer, uh, basically, uh, it was at John Frankenheimer's house that uh, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski had dinner with uh, RFK, the... Uh, night before his assassination. Actually, it was Frankenheimer who took RFK to the Ambassador, where he was shot the next night by Sirhan Sirhan, who, according to Ed Sanders in his book, uh, The Family, uh, Sirhan Sirhan had connections with the Process Church of the <laughs> Final Judgment. Oh, I've never actually heard that before. Oh, yeah. That's a new one. Oh, yeah, and I, I get into really pretty deeply into my uh, book and of course there's these alleged uh, connections between Manson and the uh, Process Church. You know, once again as you look into this stuff I've even found uh, connections to Kerry Thornley and the Car <laughs> uh, Kennedy assassination that connect to the, him meeting up with the uh, Process Church. I'm not saying there's anything sinister on Thornley's uh, yeah. Part, but uh, you know, during the '60s, it seemed like all these uh, paths crossed. So it was an interesting era. And one thing I should note: there's a guy, uh, Dave McGowan, who's done 
tons of work. Are you familiar with his uh, series on Laurel Canyon and all the rock stars that came out of Laurel Canyon in the late 60s and all these connections that the rock stars uh, had uh, with the intelligence agencies? It seemed like a lot of their family members were involved in the military intelligence agencies and it seemed to be the same thing for the yeah yeah, for the Manson family who knew a lot of these folks the Neil Young's and all those uh, (laughs) Frank Zappa all those uh, folks in Laurel Canyon and uh, you know uh, so there's all these weird connections there I'd encourage you to go check out uh, Dave McGowan's series on Laurel Canyon uh, it'll blow your mind. It's on the web. It's available. It's he's. It's not a, a book. It's basically just a, a series he's put on the web. I think uh, he put out a previous book on uh, MK Ultra Assassins, and uh, that was more hassle to him than it was worth. He wanted to get the information out there, so he's put it on the web. Go uh, check it out. I forget the exact title. It's, Something about the inside story of Laurel Canyon. It'll blow your mind. One of the one of the things um, in the ultimate. Um, I've never read the Ultimate Evil, but uh, there is a book. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Like the 50 greatest conspiracies, and they came out with the abridgment was like the 60 greatest conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. It's, it's kind of like kind of like my conspiracy bible. Yeah, it's a good it's one. A, <laughs> um, one of the things in the Ultimate Evil, I think Mari Terry, that's the author of that. Yeah. He. Uh, he even links Manson with, kind of indirectly and tangentially, but with the Son of Sam murders. Well, and, yeah. Yeah. That that ties into uh, the process church of the uh, final judgment. <laughs> and that the, uh, that uh, Berkowitz was involved in a cult uh, called the Children that was a spinoff of the... Uh, process church and they get into in that book the ultimate evil that's another one that (laughs) is worth picking up if you can find it it will uh, blow your mind but in that book uh, the ultimate evil the author talks about this character named manson two that was kind of this manson double guy that was an assassin for this children cult and the uh, process church of the final judgment and goes back to the days during the period where many claimed that uh, the Manson family interacted with the process church of the final judgment and this guy, the Manson two, once again, there's all these names. His name will come to me in a minute. This fellow they were calling Manson two, his name was, uh, William something. <laughs> I hate it can't, when I can't remember these names, but this uh, this character, William Manson uh, too, was involved with Mama Cass. <laughs> Mama Cass Elliot. He was one, a bunch of uh, these uh, kind of psychic vampires that were hanging around with her. And if you know the story about Manson, and uh, Ed Sanders talks about this. Uh, in his book, The Family, there was a lot of overlap there with the Manson family and the Mama Cass crowd. So, you know, everybody seems uh, connected up, and there was a lot of uh, unexplained deaths that came out of that Topanga Canyon, Laurel Canyon scene with all these uh, different uh, rock stars. Of course, uh, Mama Cass had an untimely death uh, 
Oh, in the early 70s, another uh, guy that the Manson family was tied in with, and he's kind of an unofficial Manson family member who later distanced himself from the uh, family, was uh, Dennis Wilson of the uh, Beach Boys. Uh, Manson family was tight with uh, Dennis. And, yeah. in fact, the Beach Boys recorded one of uh, Manson's songs. So cease yeah, to cease to exist, which became what cease to resist. I think on the uh, actual Beach Boys, uh, Beach Boys album. The official title was "Never Learn Not to Love." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there's someone that put it together, something on YouTube that uh, they kind of pull from a different like Beach Boys documentaries and some other Manson documentaries. Uh-huh. It's really good. That shows kind of the. Um, the the connections that they had with the Beach Boys, especially Dennis Wilson, where yep. um, Manson just lived in his house. You know, here's the Beach Boys are kind of like you know the every all the like older people really love them and they're <laughs> you know considered just kind of a part of Queen Americana. But they were hanging out with Charles Manson at yeah, one time. They have a happy go lucky sound. And there was the <laughs> right, and, and there was the guy that was uh, I can't remember his name now, but he was the record producer. That was uh, mm-hmm. the son Ter- of a Terry Terry Melcher, yeah, right, son of uh, Doris Day, and that they think that Melcher actually that uh, what one of the theories in that video was is that Manson actually was, was was hoping to get to get Terry Melcher, but he didn't know that Sharon Tate had actually moved in, or he might have been uh, sending a message yeah. uh, to Melcher through them. Uh, yeah, the uh, Dennis Wilson connection, that's kind of an inter- interesting uh, story. Uh, apparently that all came about because a couple of the uh, Manson girls were hitchhiking, and uh, Dennis Wilson picked them up, took them back to his uh, place on Sunset uh, Boulevard and had sex with <laughs> both of them and later ended up catching the clap. But they fit. Uh, they fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they found out where he lived and uh, went to his uh, place one time, and he wasn't there, and Manson took his girls, and they started partying, helping themselves to food and alcohol, and had the music uh, cranking up, and the girls, you know, they were all dancing and taking their tops off and whatever, and Wilson came back from a... uh, all-night recording session early in the morning, (laughs) saw this scene going out, and Manson came out and said, brother, come on in, kissed his feet, you know, and after that, Dennis Wilson was just enthralled by this uh, crazy little guru who had all these, uh, this harem of women, and had ready access to uh, drugs as well. Uh, Manson ended up... uh, Costing uh, Wilson a lot of money. They crashed his vehicles and yeah. made themselves at home. And they took his gold records and pawned them off for other stuff. And but the yeah the through uh, Wilson they met Terry Melcher. You mentioned uh, son of Doris Day. And uh, depending on who you talk to, uh, uh, some people claim that he uh, liked Manson music, Manson's music and. Uh, it kind of promised him uh, that he would get him in the uh, studio and produce a record, and that he later welched on that, and so that pissed Manson off. And he was either, uh, you know, going to the house on where uh, Sharon Tate and Polanski 
lived at, where Melchard uh, earlier lived at, that the Manson family went up there looking for uh, Melcher when the murders went down, or, yeah, another theory, they were just se- they were sending Melcher a message. Who knows? And there's also, too, um, uh, uh, Bobby Boussoulet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had connect all sorts of connections with... Uh, he actually went to jail, I believe, before mm-hmm. he killed somebody else. Yeah. And he actually went to jail before the, the actual Manson murders, I think. But he had some kind of connection with the Process Church and I think with uh, uh, Anton LaVey, too. Ah, uh, that's, yeah, well. that's that's another one. He talked about the degrees of uh, separation there. Yeah, I can uh, talk about that. Uh, yeah, Beausoleil, he was a... Uh, very still is a talented musician he was just as a kid he was in his uh teens he went to la and got involved in the music scene and uh i guess he was in san francisco too he got involved in early version of uh the group love with uh arthur lee he was a guitar player for them and uh so he was in the music scene, had his own bands, and uh, at one point, uh, the uh, independent filmmaker, Kenneth Anger, who's also uh, yeah. mm-hmm. a Crowleyite and knew Ant- Anton yeah. LaVey and these people, he decided that Beausoleil would be the lead in his movie, uh, Lucifer Rising. He <laughs> played the uh, role of Lucifer. Now, this is a couple of years before... Uh, Beausoleil got involved with Manson, and you can find these movies now. Uh, the actual title became Invocation for My Demon Brother, and uh, also in that film is Anton LaVey. Yeah, and it, Kenneth Anger, um, I, th- I think, you, yeah, you can find those videos, I think, on YouTube now, I think. Okay, um, and... Oh, go, go ahead. Oh, uh, where, yeah, let's see, where to go here, um... There's another Manson family connection, uh, Susan Atkins. Yeah. She was a go-go dancer in the uh, in San Francisco. This is, once again, this is around 67 or so before Atkins <laughs> hooked up with Manson. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Susan Atkins was one, one of the Manson family murderers. She was a go-go dancer in San Francisco there, and she ended up working for... Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey had this uh, kind of a, a spooky, topless Sabbath review of uh, kind of Satanism meets uh, go-go dancing, and uh, Susan Atkins was one of her his dancers, so you have those connections uh, as well with uh, Bobby Beausoleil and Susan Atkins involved with Anton LaVey and uh, Kenneth Anger and the whole kind of un- underground Church of Satan uh, Crowley scene. It's like real, real pleasant people. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's funny, I should note, that uh, Kenneth Anger is still around. In 2009, yeah. I came out with a uh, new version, basically an updated version of the uh, Manson book, uh, Creation Books, uh, came out with a new... Uh, Editions, so I did a little uh, book tour. It was just a uh, around California, basically, 
And so I was looking for venues to uh, do some stuff at, book reading, signing, you know, basically. And uh, one of the places we targeted uh, was uh, the Museum of Death, <laughs> which is in Los Angeles. Pretty cool place. It's a museum about death. They got a lot of uh, interesting stuff in there. And uh, so, yeah, as they were talking to the owner about uh, doing a... Uh, book signing presentation kind of finished up and here in walks uh, Kenneth Anger <laughs> had some business with him and no actually yeah we showed up and Kenneth Anger was already there talking uh, to the owner so is this kind of now that's a pretty weird uh, synchronicity yeah yeah true on the, on the on the way back I have all these weird things I notice when you tap into the uh, synchronistic world you notice stuff and I was with a uh, couple friends, and we were coming back from L.A., and we stopped uh, to get some gas, and I bought my friend a pack of smokes. <clears throat> and then I'm walking out, and I look at the uh, receipt, and guess what it said? Did it have, like, 666 on it or something? Exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not making that up. Yeah. I can. I have a uh, scan of the receipt somewhere. I put up on the web. Um, one thing about Kenneth Anger too was he did another film that was uh, a repeat. Uh, well, kind of like a, I guess, a dramatization of the Babylon Rising ritual that Jack Parsons did, which we kind of touched on Parsons last time. But mm -hmm. that's another interesting connection. Um. Yeah, the inaugur is that the inauguration of the Pleasure Dome? Uh, or are you talking I think about it may just be the Babylon Rising. I mean, oh, Lucifer Lu called possibly. Lucifer Rising. Yeah, okay, I okay. think you're right. Right. Uh, yeah, the uh, it's interesting the history of the soundtrack for that uh movie as well. They uh, uh if I remember the timeline here, basically Bobby Beausoleil ended up providing the uh, soundtrack, and it's a pretty damn good soundtrack. Bobby Beausoleil has been, during his time in prison, he's been pretty active on different uh, projects, and he also created a version uh, that's a cross between a uh, guitar and a synth synthesizer, it's easy to say, called the Centaur. But uh, the the history with the uh, soundtrack for uh, Lucifer Rising, Anger got to be friends with uh, Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And uh, actually, uh, you know, this was during the period where Page owned uh, Aleister Crowley's uh, castle there by Loch Ness. And uh, this was during the period where uh, Anger, I guess, was editing Lucifer Rising. So he approached uh, Jimmy Page about doing the soundtrack, and Jimmy Page did produce some sort of uh, soundtrack. And that's kind of available, too. I, it might be on YouTube for all I know. Hmm. Uh, so uh, Anger was actually uh, doing the editing of that movie in uh, the basement of that place, <laughs> Uh, anger, like he does with most people, he can get angry. He had a fall, falling out with Jimmy Page and said what Page produced for him was worthless. And uh, this was in the uh, 
mid to late 70s, so he approached uh, Bobby Beausoleil to do a soundtrack. Beausoleil was in prison, Tracy Prison, but in prison, a hell of accomplishment, he produced the soundtrack for the film Lucifer Rising. This has been put out on CD as well. It's a pretty damn cool soundtrack. Uh, Bob uh, Beausoleil is a pretty talented uh, composer, arranger, guitar player, you know, so it's just uh, such an odd story, all the connections the yeah. Manson family have. He probably could have done something really good if he hadn't killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he... Luke's got a story, uh, something that like he he knows about actually here in Tennessee. Probably that you'd be interested in hearing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I was going to high school, um, there was these rumors going around that Charles Manson used to hide out in a place called the Devil's Rice uh, Racetrack, and it was right down the street from our house, just a, a couple streets down. And it's this uh, really big wide mouth cave you know just like a a cave you walk in and it's like a dome uh, a big dome you know the cave entrance but uh anyway they call it the de the devil's racetrack and, and apparently he <coughs> hid out there when he was coming up through the south mm -hmm. um and not far from there from the devil's racetrack is hippie hollow and uh it's actually now i looked it up on on google earth and it's called bible camp road <laughs> but that that is the location of Hippie Hollow and um it was a place that was kind of like off limits to everybody so all of the kids in high school would get out and drinking and everything and uh they would dare each other to to go to Hippie Hollow, you know. Be because of uh there was rumors going around that you'd get you'd get shot at or uh you, they try to run you off somehow. Yeah, that was indeed, uh, I mean, it's possible Manson could have been there. There is that period where uh, rumor has it, legend has it, he went to the uh, southeast and there was like the uh, unexplained murder, it's still unexplained, of a guy named Darwin Scott, who was the brother of Colonel Scott, the father of Manson, during that period. And I forget uh, what the year was, it was... Uh, must have been around 68 or so, maybe 69, somewhere in there. Well, uh, what I saw that added a little bit more validity to it was um, he, he apparently had some relatives in southern Kentucky, like right by the border, like up by Portland or something like that. And uh, from the stuff I read, it said that he had some relatives, too, in north Tennessee, uh, an aunt and uncle or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Manson was from – he's – from Kentucky, actually, I think he was born yeah. at well, Kentucky or West Virginia. Okay, yeah, so that had to be a little little earlier then. But I think like, he lived in Kentucky for a okay. while. Okay. Yeah, fascinating stuff, man. The uh, guy got around. You know, yeah, you never know what you're going to run into here in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of mysterious things. You start getting out into the country. You yeah, know? really. And that's where uh, James Shelby Downard. Uh, Spent a lot of his life, his final years. Did he live in here in Nashville? He lived in uh, Memphis. Memphis, okay. Yeah. And I, I have the address where he lived. And uh, he lived there with his uh, sister up until his death. And he died in the uh, 
late nineties. I have some correspondence that has the, the address on there. And he 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 knew about he was always looking into uh underground tunnels and entrances and stuff, and I guess he'd done a lot of research into the uh Memphis area about different underground openings and tunnels in the city. Um, yeah, he's kind of interesting too. Um, I, I'm not too familiar with him, but I believe he was the one that came up with the the idea about the the Kennedy assassination being kind of like a Freemasonic ritual. Was that him? Yeah. Let's. Uh, can we take a short break? Yeah, that's that'd be great actually. Okay. Be right back. All right, no problem. We were talking about... Yeah. Uh, James, James Shelby. Mr. Yeah, Downard. Oh, yeah. Like I said, it's something I haven't really covered a lot of, but I, I do. I think it was in that same book that I, that I mentioned before. I remember reading about it. Yeah, he has the uh, King Kill 33 theory, which... Uh, Theorizes that uh, J the JFK assassination, a lot of other events, uh, happened along the 33rd latitude and was part of a, uh, basically a Masonic ritual and that uh, Kennedy's assassination was the killing of the king to uh, kind of bring about this thing that Downard called the revelation of the method, which is... Uh, the beginning of this mass kind of programming and shattering the psyche of uh, mankind to prepare them for the uh, new world order, I guess, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. is a way to uh, characterize the whole thing. But yeah, he he lived in uh, Memphis, Tennessee there, was a man of the South. Very interesting character. I write about him. In my book, uh, James Shelby Downard's Mystical War, which is really the only uh, biography uh, thus, f thus far of uh, Downard. There's some autobiographical material, the book yeah. put out by Feral House, and of course uh, the, uh, some of the stuff he wrote with Michael Anthony Hoffman, King Kill 33, and there's a couple other pieces out there you can find if you seek them out there's some other interesting things um i don't know if um like our mutual friend guy malone but uh he one of the things that i've heard uh this is not necessarily coming from him but from some other people is uh you have also on the 33rd degree parallel is the roswell crash yeah i believe and uh there was a researcher named david flynn i believe he's deceased now but he looked at where you know like the book of enoch and the watchers and all that where that they descended for to earth was on mount hermon uh in um in israel what's now israel and that actually that the others the exact others and that's also on the 33rd degree parallel and mm. on the other side of the, of the other side of the earth is actually roswell so that kind of uh made me think of that when you when we're talking about the 33rd degree yeah, I wasn't aware of uh, that connection. I I remember David Lynn. I that's kind of how I hooked up with Guy Malone. He had us, yeah. uh, myself and some other folks, come out and uh, speak at uh, Roswell back in 
When was that? That was like, uh, it was on the anniversary, uh, 2000, boy, it's been uh, a few years now, 2006, 2007. And my my take, uh, guy like me, I'm not a uh, Christian by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but I had done some uh, work on how ritual magic seemed to be tied into the UFO experience, and it kind of paralleled, in a sense, the work uh, Guy was doing in this David Flynn. I didn't realize he had died either. He was... Yeah. Relatively young guy, David Flynn. That's uh, yeah, he passed away too bad. Sometime last year, yeah. mm. uh, that, the thirty-third uh, parallel. Yeah, it. Uh, if you track it, it you know it uh, goes through uh, Dallas, uh, Texas, and there's a lot of th- thirty-three is uh, the highest degree in Freemasonry, and there's all these three in the assassination it happened near the Triple Underpass. There was these. Three tramps, three assassins in uh, Daly Plaza. There was three shots. There's all kinds of threes. 1963, it happened. Uh, so there, you know, there's the uh, Daly Plaza assassination there on the 33rd degree latitude. Then it goes through Roswell and Alamogordo, where they tested the uh, yeah, yeah first. First atomic bomb, and that was like the beginning of this alchemical working, which was called uh, Trinity. Mm-hmm. There you go. The threes. Uh, also, uh, I believe it's uh, Albert Pike founded uh, Freemasonry, Scottish Rite Freemasonry, in South Carolina, somewhere in South Carolina, on the thirty-third degree. If you take it the other way, going. Uh, West, it'll take you to Disneyland where there's the Club 33. Uh, you laugh. And my friend Walter Bosley has done a lot of, he wrote a book called 33rd, uh, what do you call it? Dealing with experiences he had in Disneyland as a young man. And he feels that it's like some sort of power node that uh, all these places are energy. No, it's, that's why these magical rituals are, uh, that's why they take place on these different areas, and that, that's where the energy, uh, or, or what, you know, there's ley lines, whatever, crossing in these uh, particular areas. Bosley claims that uh, he had some paranormal experiences on a uh, carousel that's no longer in existence at Disneyland. Uh, there's some other ride there that... Uh, was actually some type of time portal or uh, some type of alternate reality device that could shift you into a different dimension of reality. So, yeah, you have all these weird stories about the uh, 33rd latitude as well. I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't doubt it. What? All the mysterious deaths at Disneyland that you talked about as well. Mm-hmm. This, was, this was a personal friend of yours? Yeah, Walter Bosley. What uh, what did he say he experienced? Um, let me think about this a little bit. He has written a book called 33rd Latitude, I think, or Latitude 33, one of those. And uh, he claims that uh, he, met, he met a fellow there. 
that he thinks was one of the original designers of Disneyland who uh, died many years before this meeting, whenever it was, like in the uh, late 70s or 80s when Walter was a young man and kind of uh, shared with him some of the uh, secrets of what was going on at Disneyland that there it was there was a reason when people go to the magical kingdom there's this sense of wonderment and awe uh, it uh, not only had to do with the surroundings that were created themselves but an energy that comes out of that area and uh, I think what Walter's ex- suggesting is that 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 was a time portal this uh, one of the uh, original designers uh, of Disneyland used to come into the future to share this information with him. I see. This is this is true conspiratorial material right here. <laughs> I just want to let you know. This is the <laughs> you, you should have uh, Bosley on your show if he still wants to talk about this stuff. Oh wow, okay. Cool. <laughs> well I'll look him up. Yeah. Uh, one of the he, things I he goes, Go through, he goes through different phases where he's also a uh, film director, producer, and sometimes he likes to get away from the high weirdness, but uh, yeah. you, can, you can get him going uh, sometimes. So, yeah, it's worth checking out. I can give you contact information. Okay, cool. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, Adam, was uh, uh, Montauk. Mm-hmm. I know that you... you um, in the beast of, uh, I really enjoyed your your article on that. And there's some real, I mean, it's it, it it's probably one of the strangest things for me, uh, <laughs> at Montauk and the Philadelphia Experiment. And I I, I just you know kind of like you know, what is your um, idea of what happened there? I mean, what what do you think about Montauk and what it could have been? Hmm. Here we go again. I. I warned you when we were going to do this interview that actually that's a piece I wrote and I think it's called the Montauk Mythos and it's yeah, in the uh-huh. yeah. Beast Beast of Adam Go Rightly. We'll do the little plug here that uh, recently came out on Kindle. It's a book. The hard copy was published. Oh, it's been several years now, and we recently came out with the Kindle version. That was one of the areas I got into was this whole. Montauk mythos, and uh, I think the piece I wrote a bit wrote about all this was uh, oh, it's a good ten years old or so, probably yeah. older older than that. So my memory, I've you know forgotten about half of everything I learned about some of this weird uh, stuff. But it was just me kind of piecing together the whole Montauk mythos, how. Uh, kind of evolved out of the uh, Philadelphia experiment, which a lot of people know about. If they don't know about Montauk, they've probably uh, maybe seen the movie or read the uh, book that came out in the uh, 70s that was about this uh, ship that uh, was during World War II, this uh, ship, the USS Eldridge, there was a secret project. They were trying to make it uh, invisible, undetectable by radar. You know, think of uh, Star Trek uh, uh, cloaking device. And uh, I guess this was prior to World War II. Is 
or right as they were gearing up for uh, World War II, they conducted this experiment to make this thing invisible and uh, unwittingly, as the story goes, they not only made it uh, invisible, but they uh, teleported the thing a hundred miles away to uh, North uh, Folk, Virginia. So got <laughs> teleported from uh, uh, Philadelphia to uh, Virginia, where it reappeared. And then it was somehow they were able to transport it back again to uh, Philadelphia. And during the course of all this, one of the crew members got planted into a wall or the uh, bulkhead of the uh, ship. So yeah. that was, that's kind of the basic uh, story of the Philadelphia experiment. There's probably a lot more to it. And so Montauk is kind of a spinoff of uh, the whole Philadelphia experiment. And so, <laughs> maybe you can get me going. Share, share your thoughts on Montauk. Uh, Montauk to me, uh, it's such a—I mean, it's such a strange and convoluted uh, subject. Uh, my my personal thought on it is that it's probably more to do with mind control than with uh, mm -hmm. time travel or teleportation. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Al Bielik is the one that comes to mind. Uh, and just, you know, his idea of that he was another person named, what, I think Duncan Cameron or something like that. And he jumped with another guy, jumps off the, uh, jumps off the Eldridge and ends up in Montauk in like 1983. There which, you go. Yeah. Which just so happens to be the plot of the Philadelphia Experiment movie that came out in 1984. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But uh, I, I I have this feeling about uh, Belik and some of these other guys. I can't remember that the, uh, there was these, these these three guys. Preston they, Preston Nichols, Al yeah. Belik, and uh, Duncan Cameron. Yeah, and um, they they all had these ideas that they were that they were all part of the Philadelphia experiment. That they had been different people, and that, plus they were part of the Montauk experiment and doing yeah. time travel experiments and things like that. Yeah, I had a bunch of. Uh, where did I get them? I, had, I, I might have tossed the damn things because I thought they were so ludicrous. But I had a bunch of uh, videotapes that had had interviews with all three of them. Duncan yeah. Cam Cameron's a strange. Uh, cat too, but uh, yeah, kind of ha how Montauk uh, enters into this is that they started Montauk and Montauk uh, Long Island had this base uh, set up where they were doing some weird uh, projects and stuff, and somehow they went uh, back in time. <laughs> they had like a time tunnel. If you remember the TV show, The Time Tunnel where they could go back in time and they went back to when the Philadelphia experiment happened and plucked these guys out and brought them to the uh, future and got them involved in, in uh, the Montauk experimentation I do think it's about uh, kind of a mind control thing but they said they created this uh, thing called the Montauk uh, chair and uh, Duncan Cameron was the 
kind of the uh, guy they used. I, he had some incredible uh, mental powers and in that they could uh, basically fuck with reality and create different uh, alternate dimensions and uh, different time uh, tunnel realities and all this uh, stuff. Now, that that's kind of the... Uh, cover story but then other people say that uh, who knows what's <laughs> real what's not real but that there was uh, some type of mind control going on with all this and they had used tech Tesla technologies and the Nazi uh, stuff from Project Paperclip and on and on what I do know out of all of this came uh, a bunch of uh, People who emerged, you know, after these three guys shared their stories, that people started coming <laughs> forward claiming yeah, that yeah. they as well had been uh, used in all these Montauk uh, experiments basically to alter the nature of reality or to do weather modification or on and on uh, teleportation. Uh, the gray aliens were mixed up in all of this, and there was a bunch of these guys called the uh, Montauk Boys, and uh, they were all these uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guys that were, uh, they claimed they had been used, sounds like the super soldier thing going on now, to uh, uh, be used to make the super Aryan race and these guys have been programmed and this uh, Preston Nichols got involved with deprogramming these guys and this is where it gets all very weird that he was using some type of Reikian therapy uh, tantric therapy to uh, deprogram them basically using kind of uh, sex magic to deprogram a bunch of boys uh, teenage boys so it's Sounds like you're getting some weird uh, homopedophilia mixed in. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, that was that, I had never heard of that before that part of the story before when I read the, your article there. That basically what well, he was doing what he was doing was just basically jerking them off. Where this where I first heard this was from my friend uh, Alexandra Chica Bruce. And uh, you can probably still find it uh, on the uh, YouTube. Who knows? I guess these videos are still around. In the late 90s, I first heard a lot of this Montauk stuff through. It's when uh, streaming, uh, some of the first streaming radio was going on. There was a guy named Richard Metzger who later had a lot to do with disinformation. Uh that, that whole empire that they put out yeah. the books and stuff. Uh -huh. He had a he had a radio show called the Inter, uh, Infinity Factory, and uh, one of his uh, guests was Chica, and she was talking about uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of these uh, things. And they ended up she ended up producing a segment of uh, they did a television series for like British. Uh, television uh, called disinformation those videos are available uh, too if you seek them out and uh, they talked about a lot of this stuff and uh, it's interesting uh, Alexandra she was also a Montauk experiencer and she wrote a book um, 
I forget the exact uh, title now. Experiments in Time, the Montauk Murders, or something to that effect, uh, dealing with uh, a guy named uh, Phil Schneider, and it kind of dovetailed uh, yeah. with Dulce and all of that. But I was uh, about to bring up she, Phil Schneider, actually. Okay, but uh, she as well, she got involved into this Montauk <laughs> scene. She lived out in New York. She's back in New York now. She started having memories <laughs> and stuff, and she'd be at... Uh, New Age conferences, and somebody pointed at her and said she was an MK Ultra victim, and she started having memories about Montauk and uh, MK Ultra. So we had this whole subculture of people who came uh, out of this scene that was a spinoff of kind of the Montauk. That uh, yeah, maybe something weird was uh, going on. At the base, the episode they produced of Disinformation with uh, actually uh, Alexandra Chica Bruce and Richard Metzger went out and they actually filmed the uh, base there in uh, Montauk, uh, Long Island, what was left of it. Apparently, after the uh, Montauk experiments finally ended, it was sabotaged, as the story goes, by these three guys, Balik. Preston Nichols and uh, Cameron, they, they, they basically uh, sabotaged and destroyed the experiment, and that's when it all closed down. But the base itself is still out there. Yeah. And, when, and, and there was – there, there, I mean, there was something there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably been blown completely out of proportion. But what makes me think yeah. about uh, Al Bielik and the, the two other guys that uh, – you know, either they're just crazy and they're just making up stories or there's a possibility that they do believe everything that they're saying and that somehow their brains have probably just become so fried by probably some kind of experimentation that they mm-hmm. actually believe that they experienced all this stuff. Uh Phil Schneider yeah, probably was another one that was like that too. Well, that's that's another whole thing, the Phil uh, Schneider uh, story. I don't know if I'm even equipped to go there at this time, but that that's kind of a uh, what he was talking about is a spinoff of uh, the whole Dulce underground yeah. base, the Dulce Wars, that whole thing, and uh, people who are involved in the Dulce scene. I've talked to them. Uh, they tell me that uh, uh, Schneider really didn't show up until the mid-90s, you know. And supposedly the Dulce's Wars uh, happened in the uh, late 70s, and the story emerged in the uh, late 90s, and that uh, Schneider was basically basing his story, quote-unquote story, on the uh, whole Thomas Costello story of uh, that Costello was actually the security guard at Dulce. And it kind of has a parallel, I guess, with Montauk. I never thought about that, that they tried to uh, Dulce and some other renegades there that worked at the underground Dulce base where they were doing all these alien-human hybrid experiments, all this nasty stuff that uh, Thomas Costello and his associates uh, – basically sabotaged 
that and started the Dulce War where they were in battling with uh, reptilians and all this stuff, shooting laser guns, some stuff right out of uh, Star Wars. This is this true high weirdness. <laughs> it did it. Is. <laughs> well, Adam, we're almost out of time, but uh, um, I wanted to ask you: um, Is there anything that you wanted to say? Or? Uh, uh, did you ever get to a, a chance to watch that documentary, Searching for Montauk? It was on Discovery or TLC or something like that. I have not. I don't believe I have. Is how recent is this? Uh. Pretty recent, within the past couple years, I just remember. Mm. Uh, mm. I just remember one part from it, and they found a uh, shaft going into the ground, kind of similar to a sewer with the uh, like metal stairs going down, and it was just mm -hmm. complete. It was uh, just concreted in. Comple uh, yeah. Just completely. Yeah, mm -hmm. everything was concreted in. There's uh, definitely something there. Two two shafts, yeah. if I remember right, that were concreted in. And in uh, a big like abandoned antenna. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the abandoned antenna. It seems uh, I've looked into Dulce in Area Fifty One quite a bit, and the uh, reoccurring rumor that seems to pop up are that these were toxic dump sites <laughs> for uh, weapon storage areas, uh, radiation type. Of things that, uh, and so you know maybe and so you got these uh, weird right. stories circulating around them that uh, kind of uh, <laughs> take attention maybe what was really going on there and that might be one of the ex explanations and that might explain why an area was uh, they basically uh, covered it up uh, with cement or whatever to uh, who knows what that awful toxic waste might be down there. Right, so. yeah, that is a good container for it, so that, that would be a definite possibility as well. Um, Adam, is there anything that you're working on now uh, that's uh, coming out in the future? Uh, it's. I'd rather just plug my uh, latest book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness. Okay. And... Uh, also, the uh, Beast of Adam Go Rightly, we came out with the uh, Kindle version through Fiji Press. Those are available through Amazon. And, yeah, I'm working on uh, several projects now, but it's uh, I hate talking about them until they're actually uh, the, out and available for the public. So Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you make of Montauk's Man Bear Pig? <laughs> the hell what the hell is that <laughs> that was a thing that washed up on shore like a few oh, years ago yeah i remember that uh now it uh there was some rational explanation for that uh eventually as i recall i forget it seemed like something that this uh, uh got all buggered up and uh, had a mushed up face or whatever but uh uh, it seemed like there was some good <laughs> explanation for some weird-looking thing that washed up on the shoreline. I guess uh, uh, a lot of weird-looking things probably uh, wash up. Yeah, it was probably something from that from that chair that, uh, that mm -hmm. sat in. That's what it was. Yeah. Came through the time portal. I, I think mm -hmm. it could have been an elaborate hoax because it looked like a couple animals sewn together. Oh yeah. All you see is just that one one photograph too. That's I only found one. 
Uh, it's like these uh, Bigfoot videos that uh, come out, you know. It's like anything nowadays yeah. with all the uh, Photoshop. Or there was this recent one of uh, supposed Bigfoot video in Colorado or something. A couple people are out in the woods, you know, and it's the film technique from uh, Blair Witch Project. They're talking, laughing, and, oh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and so you get a kind of a blurry image, then you, the blurry image kind of shifts towards them, and then you see the camera down, and they're running. <gasps> I think I would have, if I was in that position, I'd uh, stand still long enough to try Stop to get. stare. Yeah, <laughs> try to get the best shot. See what the hell it is. If it's a bear, I tell you, unless you're in grizzly country, then, yeah, grizzly will come out. In Colorado, I don't, they don't have grizzlies, so you might get a mama bear if you've uh, been screwing around with her cubs. But uh, I've seen a few bears in my life, and they usually bolt when they see humans. So I, I think I would, uh, and uh, of course, you know, until you're in that position, sometimes the hackles on your neck stand up and you, it's... Sure. Uh, uh, you you bolt, but uh, yeah, it's like all these videos are. It's the same crap. Show me something. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna close out here, but uh, stay on the line with us. And uh, okay. And uh, Luke, we're gonna call it, and um, we'll be uh, right back on Conspiracy Normal. All right, and we are back on Conspiracy Normal. What's going on, Luke? You, what'd you think of that, man? I'm just totally mind blown, man. <sighs> Me too. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am completely and totally exhausted after that interview. That was, uh, that was something else. Yeah. I mean, the the Manson connections and then the Montauk stuff and all the connections. I think he even made a connection in the middle of the of, of speaking to <laughs> yeah. us this time. So he's a great guest, man. Uh, you know, it's really glad to have had him on twice. Mm. Yep. So, you're a man of few words. Uh, well, I was, I was going to mention something about Dr. Hutchison and, and his... It, I always talk about that whenever I'm talking about the Philadelphia, Philadelphia experiment, experiment. Yeah. Because, uh, according to the stuff I read, he made the machine in his apartment that uh, was reproducing the effects of the Philadelphia experiment, like the same thing. It would... Uh, melt the metal down and it caused a fog and a mist around his apartment and uh, he saw things fusing together and stuff on his desk or whatever right and uh apparently the canadian scientists caught wind of it or they were or, or the the government the canadian government caught wind of it and they were snooping into you know breaking into his apartment when he wasn't there and looking around his lab and stuff like that and then after several times of not finding anything they broke in and took all of his inventions and all he had was just the blue the original blueprints and stuff on paper just hidden from the he would be an interesting guy to get on this show oh yeah maybe should maybe should work on that yeah but uh we um you know next uh we only got like probably like two three more shows this year so probably gonna have those filled up but next year definitely yeah well be, maybe that, that's, if a, he, that's a if good he person to put a, on the list if he hasn't been assassinated already. no he's he's still around <laughs> he's, he's not he's i think he's way too high high profile yeah i mean people people know him right there 
uh, and like his Hutchison effect. I don't think he can successfully explain it enough. And it's been thirty something years, I think, since he did it. Uh, like like the footage of him lifting the bowling ball and all the it, little things. Yeah, but I, I think he has been doing. I think this time around he's trying to keep it more undercover so he doesn't get exposed again. You yeah. Know? Possibly so. Most scientists, that's what they do. Okay. Well, um, next week, uh, well, next time, actually, in two weeks, we'll have on a guest named Scotty Roberts. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the the Nephilim. He has a book that he wrote about that subject. And it's an interesting, uh, I just finished reading it just uh, like at the beginning of, the, of, the, of this week. Um it's an interesting uh, take on on the on on it because um, he kind of comes from uh, uh, kind of a theological viewpoint of it, but uh, also kind of adds in kind of the ancient astronaut kind of idea, uh, which I think will be interesting in view of our last show before this one. So I think you'll you'll find some of the things that he has to say uh, very interesting. Right on. Um, so, without further ado, if there's anything that you want to add, I think we're going to call it a night. Uh, just everyone, hope you enjoyed the interview with Adam Go Rightly. Uh, possibly have him back on for some more high strangeness at some other point. Some um, high weirdness, man. Some high weirdness, man. <laughs> All right, well, let's call it a night, Luke. All right. All right. Everybody join us back next time for... Conspiranormal! Yeah, bad crew. Going out tonight, gonna give me some play. All nice up with black and gray. OP's on my feet, my hat tip back so you can see the label. You can tell I'm gone, look at my eyes. This shit I'm on's got me unstable. Me and Adam with the. I don't even know up on the table. Stony Tony, what it is? Can you hear me pulling in? The subs blasting, peeling paint. Pack that bowl with stanky dank. He said, don't knock, just come on in. I got enough green for the week. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.